So the Baseball Hall of Fame elected Scott Rowland yesterday, and there are people mad about that, and I am here to tell you that you shouldn't be mad that Scott Rowland is in the Hall of Fame. Jay Jaffe, Fangraphs, uh, the man who uh, is behind Jaws, which is like a Hall of Fame predictor, he joins us now on the Adam Gold Show. I thank you very much, Jay Jaffe. Um, explain to people why Scott Rowland is, in fact, Hall of Fame worthy. Okay. Um, well, he is uh, just a great example of a player who had a tremendous combination of offensive and defensive skill. Uh, by the measures we use that go into wins above replacement, he was the uh, third best third baseman of all time, despite a comparatively uh, short career to the guys, the two guys above him, Brooks Robinson uh, and Adrian Beltre. Uh, and by most measures, he was you know somewhere between a top ten and a top twenty, roughly top fifteen. Uh, in terms of offensive capabilities at third base, uh, more so on the rate stat side than on the uh, counting stat side because, again, uh, his career was a little bit curtailed by injuries. Mm -hmm. But that combination placed him 10th uh, in uh, career war among third basemen and 10th in my jaw system, which factors both career war and seven-year peak war. Um, he is uh, a very good player, uh, very like very uh, fully qualified for the Hall of Fame at a position that's underrepresented. And, man, that guy could play. Yeah. See, that's the thing. Sometimes sometimes the numbers, and this is what, what, what gets people. Jay Jaffe is joining us here to talk Hall of Fame. The We, we look at the overall offensive numbers, and Scott Rowland's offensive numbers overall. I mean, they're good, but they're not they're not Hall of Fame numbers. I mean, 316 home runs, 1,287 runs batted in. Uh, those are good. Nobody's saying that those are not good. Uh, but... At his position, which I know necessarily isn't a premium defensive position. We think about center field, shortstop, catcher as the premium defensive positions. But he was one of, if not the best, to ever play the position. And I would argue if Brooks Robinson is in the Hall of Fame, I mean, who has the offensive numbers for Brooks Robinson were not staggering, um, then right. it's a no-brainer for Scott Rowland to be in the Hall of Fame. He was a complete baseball player, and there's only, what, 18 third basemen total in the Hall of Fame? I, and yeah, and I believe that that count includes Negro League's third baseman, too. So we're, you know, we're, we're, it's the fewest of any position besides catcher. Um, although I believe now we've, bro we've broken the tie for counting non-Negro League's right. uh, AL, NL, bygone White League's uh, uh, third baseman. You know, for whom we can make a you know a, a lengthy statistical comparison on any one of a number of levels. Right, so let me ask you now about the guy who came closest yesterday but fell short, and that's Todd Helton. And I fear, and I respect everything that you have done and written, Jay Jaffe. Um, I fear we are going to disagree on this. Uh, I, for the life of me, cannot figure out Todd Helton's case for the Hall of Fame. I know you wrote about. Um, you know, the Coors Field effect isn't quite what people think. Um, and I know it had a dramatic effect on Larry Walker's numbers. But the home and away splits for Todd Helton are, he. first of all, he was a really good player. I have zero problem with him being called a really good player for a really long time. But to me, there's a big difference between that and being a Hall of Famer because the home and road splits are just 
I mean, they're massive. They're big, but you know what? I mean, I think he's got something like an 850 OPS plus for, I mean, OPS for his, for his road stats. I right. Mean, that's still really good. Yeah. And the thing is, the thing that people forget when looking at core stats is that the fall off is greater because of the dramatic contrast between way the way pitches move at altitude versus, yep. you know, lower down. Um, we've seen this recent, you know, amply dem- demonstrated in recent years. You can't just take the road half of a guy's, a course field players uh, split and assume that's going to be his level of production when those splits are wider. Mm-hmm. Um, DJ LeMahieu, Nolan Arenado, Matt Holiday, three great examples. Larry Walker, of course. Um, these guys could freaking hit once they left Coors Field and adjusted. The other thing is that that there's a physical factor there too. Um, players do not recover as well uh, from exertion and injuries uh, when they're playing half their games at high altitude. That's you know that partially I think explains some of some of Helton's late career troubles. The other thing it's easy to forget here is that he was an outstanding defensive first mm-hmm. baseman. He's 76 runs above average in the field, and and you know that factors that factors into you know into his wins above replacement as well. I have him 15th all time in Jaws, a little short on the career mark, but well above the peak mark. Um, is he a perfect candidate? No, okay. makes some convincing, but he goes into next year his six on the ballot in better shape oh, than yeah. Roland was entering this year. He's going to get in next year on the ballot, so he's going to get in. Um, you know, and and uh, I'm excited about that. Fair to uh, fair to say he's probably the best uh, quarterback in the Hall of Fame. <laughs> might be the best quarterback in the Baseball Hall of Fame. It could be. I mean, Pey- be. Peyton Peyton Manning might uh, might have something to say about Todd Helton going into the Baseball Hall of Fame. Where where are you on like the candidacy of a guy like Keith Hernandez for the Hall of Fame? Yeah, I, you know, Keith Hernandez is the best defensive first baseman of all time. Non-traditional uh, mm-hmm. offensive profile for for a first baseman. Right. Uh, a bit of a short career in that, you know, he petered out in his in his uh, uh, around 36 or 37 because of his back problems. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm certainly in favor of putting him on an era committee ballot, and I would probably endorse his, his election. Uh, he's a little short in jaws, but, but yeah. uh, um, you know, has a historical importance in terms of both you know, the, the way he played first base defensively and his role on uh, both the Cardinals and Mets World Series winning teams. Um, you know, there's a lot to be said for that. Uh, I don't really understand why he hasn't been able to get on an air <laughs> committee ballot. Um, you know, we do know he had, uh, uh, unfortunately, he had that uh, issue with, you know, with cocaine yeah. early in his career or in the middle of his career. But, I mean, Tim Raines came back from something similar, uh, and, you know, and was elected. But, you know, Hernandez never really moved the voters uh, on, on the writer's ballot. Maybe he would have fared better, uh, you know, in a period where we're taking, you know, closer look at, advanced, you know, at uh, more comprehensive defensive measures. So I've always been a little bit mystified about why he hasn't gotten more traction. And I, there's, you know, there must be some backroom politics in play there uh, that I that I can't uh, uh, penetrate in terms of figuring out why why he's not getting another look. We're in North Carolina, but I think we're pretty much Braves country here. Jay Jaffe is joining us. Fangraphs, we're talking about baseball's Hall of Fame. Scott Rowland will join Fred McGriff, by the way, as the only two players who will get inducted coming up this summer. So two former Braves that I want to ask you about. The first is Dale Murphy, 
My opinion is that Murphy was probably the best player in the sport for about seven years. I realized when he went, when his career dropped off, it dropped off. I don't understand why we don't spend more time rewarding those peak years where he really was the best player in the game. Yeah, I, look, I think that's I think that's fair, especially when you look at you know some of the veterans committee inductions from the from the sixties and seventies for the for what they did in the twenties and thirties, the high offense era. Um, I have said this uh, several times in the last few years. I would put Dale Murphy in the Hall of Fame before uh, Harold Baines. Uh, <laughs> no contest. I would yes. put I would put I would put Dale Murphy in the Hall of Fame before Fred McGriff. Um, I yeah. I really do like that combination that that high peak. Uh, short career combination much more than the uh, low peak, uh, you know, compiler right. accumulator uh, profile, especially at, you know at a defensively important position. Although even there, Murphy's defense did drop off, but he was you know those knees gave out because he he started out as a catcher, yep. a six four catcher at that, <laughs> and uh, Braves were wise to move him out from that. They moved him to a skill position and. and you know, really, I think he drove, uh, you know, the the first era of Atlanta baseball success uh, since the late 60s, uh, you know, that 1982 team. Um, you know, and I've I've come around on on the meaning of Dale Murphy in the larger sense as well in terms of the character issues. I mean, we've spent so much of the last decade, you know, focusing on PED guys and, right. and and the bad, you know, the the domestic, you know, there's domestic violence uh, issues up and down the ballot, mm-hmm. um, you know, and, and and just a lot of unsavory characters. And Dale Murphy, I mean, <laughs> wasn't just a guy who stayed out of trouble. Dale Murphy is a guy who has gone out of his way to be a positive example yep. um, in ways that resonate. I mean, I, th- I think of you know the things he said in 2020 regarding Black Lives Matter and 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 things like that. And, and I just, I, I, I looked at the guy and I think, you know, if you're ever going to reward a character guy, guy with a short, shorter career, Dale Murphy stands to me as a, as a perfect opportunity to do so. So I was, you know, I was surprised um, that he was on the era committee ballot in 2023, given that he hadn't fared very well uh, in the two previous times he'd been on, he was below the reporting threshold right. where they tell you exactly how many votes a guy gets, uh, kind of a dignity cloak, so to speak. Um, but uh, he got 37.5% this time. In a, let's face it, it's a, it was, a, it was a, a, an electoral slate that seemed very rigged to reward character in the yeah. first place um, with the vocal uh, anti-PED uh, voices of, of Frank Thomas and Ryan Sandberg. But, you know, I think he'll continue to get a look. I hope so. Uh, finally, just a couple of seconds left. Andrew Jones, yes or no? I'm for him. He got to 58 percent, yeah. largest jump yet above the 50 percent threshold, trending towards election. Still has four chances left. Um, you know, he's the he's the pillar of that Braves dynasty on the defensive side. Uh, the guy where where the runs that uh, uh, Maddox and Glavin, who weren't strikeout <laughs> pitchers, uh, you know, went to die uh, yeah. and made them great. No question about it. Jay Jaffe, I appreciate your time. Fan graphs. Uh, this is your time of the year. Uh, maybe we'll do it again next year. Hopefully I'll talk to you before then. All right, sounds good, Adam. Thanks a lot for having me. Thank you very much. Jay Jaffe from Fangraphs here on the Adam Gold Show.